Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and for your mercy and for your grace. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes now, that we might behold wonderful things in your beautiful word. And what we know not, we pray that you would teach us. And that what we are not, we pray that you'd please make us. And what we have not, we pray that you'd please supply to us. All for the glory and praise of your dearly beloved Son, who lives with you and who reigns with you, together with the Holy Spirit. One God forever blessed and forever praised. Amen. This week I was reading a fascinating article in Outside Magazine entitled, quote, The Man Who Runs 365 Marathons a Year. The author, Stephanie Person, begins her article just like this, quote, One day, Michael Shattuck started to run. He liked it, so he ran longer sometimes for as many as 65 hours each week. He never wanted to stop. Now it's a late summer morning in Wisconsin's rural heartland. Emerald green dairy farms roll into wetland marshes. This is running heaven out here, says Shattuck. How are you feeling this morning, I ask? And he responds, I've run 8,400 miles in 2019, and I would really like to get to 10,000 by the end of September. At the time, Stratic was averaging around 250 miles per week. What kind of person runs a marathon, 26.2 miles or farther every single day? And how is that even possible?" End quote. When I shared these incredible details with my lovely bride, Allison, I casually added, can you imagine how exhausting, challenging, and rewarding that must be? And she responded, yes, I can, because that sounds almost as intense as being a mother. Being a faithful mother is indeed intense, exhausting, challenging, and rewarding. And so this morning, I want to take a brief break from our study of the book of James, and I want us to focus prayerfully and carefully on a passage in the book of 2 Timothy that I hope, by God's grace, we will find some specific encouragement for all the mothers in our congregation. So if you have your Bibles, please open or swipe to 2 Timothy chapter 3. What I want to do this morning is to zero in on what Paul means in this passage to follow a godly example. That's going to be the thrust of the passage, and that'll be the thrust of the sermon. What does it mean to follow a godly example, to continue in the gospel by following a godly example? And then I want to illustrate, explain, and apply that principle as a means of encouraging mothers in our congregation. Now, this may seem like I'm imposing something onto the biblical text, but I will demonstrate from the text that I indeed have exegetical warrant for this direct application and encouragement to mothers. So let me begin by setting the context. 2 Timothy is a book filled with Paul's last words. In this letter, that's only four chapters long, we discover the final letter 
penned by the Apostle Paul. Paul was in prison, most likely in Rome. And when he wrote this final letter to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, what we find is the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul in Scripture. He wrote them while on death row, awaiting his execution at the hands of the Roman Emperor Nero. And so 2 Timothy, as John Stott has put it, is the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul. Paul puts into writing what is precious to him. And he writes about the gospel because that's what's precious to him. And he writes about this gospel to those who are precious to him, namely his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, and the church at Ephesus where Timothy was the pastor. And because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's written his words to us. John Calvin, quoting, uh, commenting on this passage, said this, quote, All that we read in 2 Timothy concerning the kingdom of Christ, the hope of eternal life, the Christian's warfare, confidence in confessing Christ, and the certainty of doctrine ought to be viewed by us written not with ink, but with Paul's own blood. 2 Timothy is the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul. And in this brief letter, what we find is a sustained appeal to Timothy from Paul in order to stir up in Timothy unashamed loyalty to Christ and uncompromising fidelity to the gospel of Christ. Unashamed loyalty and uncompromising fidelity. That's the purpose. That's the the goal of this short letter. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Listen, in order to have unashamed loyalty to Christ and uncompromising fidelity to the gospel of Christ, it will cost you something. It is costly to follow Christ in this world. And that's what Timothy needs to learn. Paul writes four chapters, and they're easy to break down the the, the substance of those chapters. And once again, I'm borrowing from John Stott. Chapter 1, Paul says to guard the gospel. Chapter 2, Paul says suffer for the gospel. Chapter 3, Paul says continue in the gospel. And chapter 4, he says proclaim the gospel. And so focus your attention for these next few minutes on verses 10 to 17 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in this passage, we find an appeal from Paul to Timothy to continue in the gospel by following godly examples. This is what Holy Scripture says, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my conduct, excuse me, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For the purposes of this message, we are going to focus our main attention on verse uh, 14 and verse 15. I have preached this passage before where I've highlighted uh, this section at the end on the inerrancy and an inspiration of Scripture, but we're just going to focus our main attention on verses 14 and 15. And my single aim in this message is this, to encourage the mothers in our congregation to faithfully contemplate their lasting impact to the glory of God, particularly in the lives of their children. So my main aim is to encourage the mothers in our congregation to faithfully contemplate their lasting impact for the glory of God in the lives of their children. Now, I realize that by focusing the attention of a sermon on mothers on Mother's Day may bring with it a a wide range of emotions, maybe even disappointments. Maybe because of a mother who's been lost, maybe a child that's lost, or for prayers that seem to remain unanswered. You may feel left out because you feel like a, a message about mothers doesn't really apply to you. But let me just say this. Nearly everything I'm about to say applies not only to mothers in particular, but to any faithful follower of Jesus Christ, whether or not you have biological children. This past week was the anniversary of the passing of a dearly beloved sister, Jeannie Cargill, one year ago this week. And for all who had the joy of knowing Miss Jeannie, you know that while she never married, she never had any biological children, She was one of the greatest mothers you could ever have. And only the Lord knows how many hundreds of children she nursed in the faith through the gospel. And if you're listening to this sermon and you're a Timothy, you're a young Timothy, let this be an encouragement to you to grow in the fifth commandment and learn how to honor your mother. So in this passage, the apostle commands Timothy to continue in the gospel, verse 14, by following godly examples, verses 10 to 15. And I want to encourage each one of us, especially the mothers, to respond to God's word in two ways. There's just two points this morning, two point outline. Number one, contemplate your lasting impact. That's point number one, contemplate your lasting impact. And number two, cherish your loving Savior. Contemplate your lasting impact and cherish your loving Savior. And my prayer is that every mother in our congregation would be encouraged and the rest of us would be helped to honor our mothers on this day and on every day that the Lord our God lends us breath. Number one, contemplate your lasting impact. In this passage, we discover the lasting impact that a godly mother 
and a godly grandmother can have by the grace of God and for the glory of Christ. I can remember several years ago, President Ronald Reagan was speaking at, at an event and he said, quote, some people spend an entire lifetime wondering if they made a difference in the world, but the Marines don't have that problem. And I think faithful, godly mothers and grandmothers don't have that problem either. But sometimes it's easy for moms to forget their lasting impact. Oftentimes moms fail to contemplate the lasting impact for good that they are having and that they can have by God's grace in the lives of their children. All of us are tempted at times to get what we call tunnel vision. We focus only on what's right in front of our eyes and we lose sight of the big picture. And as Christians, we can lose sight of eternity. We become nearsighted. We, we have this myopic vision where we, we're only nearsighted. We can't see what's down the road. And we begin to ask the question, does what I'm doing day in and day out actually matter at all? Mothers have so many things on their plates. They're juggling so many responsibilities. There's so many needs to meet, so many cares to attend to on a daily basis that it's easy for moms to lose sight of the big picture, especially in regards to the spiritual well-being of their children. And the Apostle Paul provides some encouraging, wonderfully encouraging news in verses 14 and 15. Look at it again. But as for you, continue, Timothy, in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul, in this passage, contrasts the actions of the spiritual imposters in verse 13, who go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He contrasts those people with the holy calling set before Timothy. And he says to Timothy, you, Timothy, not like those people, you continue, you remain, you abide in the gospel that you have received and have firmly believed. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Timothy has learned something. He's gained knowledge by instruction. Another way to render this verb is to be someone's disciple. So continue, Timothy, in your discipleship. Continue in what you've learned. Continue in what you firmly believed. Timothy is to remain in the things that he's learned. And then Paul gives the basis or the ground for that command. Notice what he says. Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of knowing those from whom you've learned it. So just think about that for a minute. The command to remain in the gospel is founded upon, based upon, Timothy's knowledge of those from whom he learned the gospel. Timothy must continue in what he's learned because he knows from whom he's learned it. Now, I realize that uh, in the season of quarantine, there are lots and lots of children, especially learning 
uh, online. They're, 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 they're doing a lot of distance learning and they're doing a lot of Zoom calls and YouTube videos to, to learn. And many people are taking these classes and uh, one of the real challenges that at least I have found in distance learning is that it often lacks the personal interaction with your teacher. You can, uh, we've encountered this sometimes at Bible study on Wednesday nights. People can actually text me questions or via chat, but it's just harder to do the back and forth personal interactions that you would have in a, in a physical classroom. It's hard to really truly get to know the person that you're supposed to be learning from. My son, Elijah, my oldest son, is taking a, a online class from a Latin teacher who, where does she live? England. She lives in England. And so he's never met this woman. I don't even know if he's ever seen this person. Is it a woman? woman. It's a woman, yeah. Um, but, but he's supposed to be learning from this, from this, from this lady. And, and uh, so distance learning can often feel distant. But that's not actually what Timothy's going through. Timothy didn't have a distance learning of the gospel. Timothy intimately knew those who entrusted him and taught him and discipled him with the gospel. Who were the teachers who instructed Timothy? Well, in the context, we know who instructed Timothy. We know one of his main instructors was who? Who? Paul, exactly, the Apostle Paul. We know that because of verses 10 to 17. Paul was one of the main disciplers of Timothy. And we're going to look at that in verses 10 to 13 in a minute. He was a father in the faith for Timothy. Paul discipled Timothy, trained Timothy, taught Timothy, instructed Timothy. And so Paul could have easily just said to Timothy, Hey, Timothy, just continue in the gospel because you know me. You know the one who's taught you the gospel, me. You know me, so just continue what I've taught you. But that's actually not what he says. Look at your Bibles again. He says, knowing whom, from whom, plural, that you learned it. So whom is indicating more than one person. Young Timothy didn't just learn from Paul. Paul, in fact, long before he met Timothy, I'm sorry, sorry, long before he met the Apostle Paul in Acts 16 in Lystra, we're told that that's when Timothy met Paul. We're told in Acts 16 verse 1, Timothy was already a disciple. He was already a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd already believed the gospel. We're told that he had two other key disciplers in his life. There were two others who taught Timothy who instructed Timothy, who discipled Timothy in the gospel. There were two other people that Timothy must remember and cherish because of their incredible lasting impact on his life. So Timothy had a father in the faith, Paul, but he also had two mothers in the faith. And you think, where do I get that from? Where do I get that from? Well, look, look in your Bibles back to chapter 1, verse 5. Knowing from whom you've learned it. Well, who did he learn it from? Look at chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. There it is. Your faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois. 
and in your mother, Eunice. And now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. You see, Timothy had a godly mother, Eunice, and a godly grandmother, Lois. And these women, these women were clearly genuine, sincere followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in Acts 16.1 that Timothy's mother was a Jewish woman who was a believer. And we're also told that Timothy's father was a Greek. He was a Gentile and he was not a Christian. So Timothy was raised in a home where the mom was a believer and the dad was not. And so you can understand how Paul became that spiritual father figure for Timothy. But who was his spiritual mother? Well, he had two of them, Eunice and Lois. Timothy, we're told, he was taught these things, these gospel truths from a very young age. By the grace of God and by the power of God, the gospel had come to dwell in Timothy. But he wasn't taught these things by his unbelieving father. He was taught these things from his birth, from his infancy, from his own childhood by these two women. Say, where do I get that? Well, flip back to chapter 3 again. Look at verse 15. Chapter 3, verse 15. I'll start in verse 14. Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Verse 15. And how, and how from childhood. Other translations, from infancy. You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you see what he's saying? Paul is saying this. Let me paraphrase. O beloved son in the faith, my dear Timothy, continue in the gospel. Continue in the faith. Remain in the gospel that you received because you know, you know those from whom you learned it. Namely, me, Paul. And even before me, from your mother and from your grandmother, and how from childhood, even from your infancy, you've been acquainted, you have known the Word of God, the sacred writings, the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Lois and Eunice apparently fed Timothy the Word of God since he was a little kid, since he was a little boy, since he was a baby. So his mother and his grandmother fed the Word to him, taught the Word to him, read the Word to him, discipled him in the Word, trained him in the Word, prayed the Word over him. Maybe they even sang the Word over him. And the sacred writings that Paul refers to there, he's mainly referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. And so I want us to, to see something. One observation. Mothers, just pay attention to this. Notice what Paul does. Paul puts his own apostolic, incredible influence in Timothy's life on the same level, right alongside the lasting impact of Timothy's mother and grandmother. That's amazing. 
I mean, this is incredibly encouraging. If you were to go to the church at Ephesus and interview Pastor Timothy there and say, Timothy, tell me your testimony. Who's had the greatest spiritual impact on your life? Pastor Timothy would have said, well, that's easy. The Apostle Paul, but even before Paul, my grandma and my mom. Just think about this. So all the mothers in our congregation, contemplate just for a second the lasting impact in the lives of your children. What you do day in and day out in the lives of your children will echo into eternity by the grace of God. Timothy had witnessed, perhaps with his own eyes and heard with his own ears, how God had transformed and sustained sinners by the power of God through the gospel. He'd seen it in the Apostle Paul's life, but he saw it first in his home. Maybe it was, I don't know, a little sanctified imagination. Perhaps it was seeing his mother patiently and persistently love his unbelieving father. Perhaps it was seeing or hearing his grandmother tell stories of how she first came to know the Lord. Perhaps it was the delight and the joy that Lois and Eunice had in the Word of God. Mothers, I want you to be encouraged. The daily, hourly, seemingly small deposits of faith and grace that you are making in the lives of your children are not in vain. It may feel at times like nothing that you're doing is valued or is making much of a difference, but that is simply untrue. God is pleased. He is delighted in all the ways, big ways and small ways, public ways and private ways, that you are teaching and caring and nurturing your children as a woman of God. Martin Luther helps us here. He says this, quote, We err when we judge the works of God according to our feelings, rather than according to His will. Now observe, when that clever harlot, our natural reason, takes a look at the married life, she turns up her nose. Alas, must I rock the baby and wash its diapers and make its bed and smell its stench and stay up nights with it and take care of it when it cries and heal its rashes and sores and on top of that, care for my husband and take care of this and take care of that? Fie, fie upon such wretchedness and bitterness. I will become a nun and I'll compel my children, I'll compel my daughters to do likewise. But what does Christian faith say to this? It opens its eyes and looks upon all these insignificant, distasteful, and despised duties in the Spirit, and it is aware that they are all adorned with divine approval as with the costliest gold and jewels. Faith says, O oh God, I am certain that you have created me and you have created this child. And I know for a certain that it meets your perfect pleasure. And I confess that I am not worthy to rock this little baby or wash its diapers or to be entrusted with the care of this child. How is it that I, without any merit, 
have come to this distinction of being certain that I am serving your creatures and your most precious will. Oh, how gladly will I do so, though the duties should be more, even more insignificant or despised. Neither frost nor heat nor drudgery nor labor will distress or dissuade me, for I'm certain that it is pleasing in your sight. And so when a father or a mother goes ahead and washes those diapers or performs some other task for their child and someone ridicules them as a fool, God, with all his angels, is smiling not because the father or mother is washing diapers, but because they are doing so in Christian faith. These are truly golden and noble works. End quote. Moms, you are doing truly golden and noble works. And your children are watching. And they are learning from your example. Did you notice? Look back at verses 10 and 12. Did you notice? the various categories that Paul lays out that he wants Timothy to follow. And these have a, an initial application directly to the Apostle Paul, but you could also, uh, also uh, take these same categories and apply them to mothers as well. Notice what does he say in verse 10? You have followed, there, there's that word, followed, you followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings that happened to me, Paul says. So mothers, you are a living example of what a godly life is supposed to look like. That verb follow, it means to conform one's belief or practice by paying special attention and following faithfully as a rule. Your children have a front row seat and they are watching and they're paying special attention and you are always teaching by your conduct, by your aim in life, by your faith, by your patience, by your love, by your perseverance, and I would say especially by your trials and by your sufferings. They're watching you as you go through trials. And what I want to encourage you this morning is that no urgent prayer, no nurturing act, no patient word, no love expressed, no promise trusted, no commandment obeyed, no tear wiped away, no surprise party, no tender hug, no kind laugh, no faithful rebuke, no gentle encouragement, no trial endured, no verse taught, none of these golden and noble works done in faith are ever done in vain. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about his mom. Listen to what he says as he contemplated the lasting impact on his mother years after she had gone to be with the Lord. He said this, quote, I am sure... In my early youth, no teaching ever made such an impression upon my mind as the instruction of my mother. Neither can I conceive that to any child there be one who will have such an influence over the young heart as the mother who has so tenderly cared for her offspring. 
And then he writes these words, Never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. I do not have the powers of speech to set forth the blessing the Lord gave me in making me the son of one who prayed for me and prayed with me. How can I ever forget her tearful eyes when she warned me to escape from the wrath to come? How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee and with her arms around my neck prayed, Oh, that my son might live before thee. Nor can her frown be effaced from my memory, that solemn loving frown when she rebuked my iniquities and her smiles. Her smiles have never faded from my memory. The beaming of her countenance when she saw some good things in me towards the Lord God of Israel. My mother said to me, Charles Spurgeon says, my mother said to me one day, Ah, Charles, I have often prayed to the Lord to make you a Christian, but I never asked him that you might become a Baptist. I could not resist to reply, Ah, mother, the Lord has answered your prayer with his usual bounty and has given you exceedingly abundantly far beyond all you ever asked or thought, end quote. Sisters, hear those words one more time. Never, never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. Charm is deceitful, deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And by God's grace, her children, her children will rise up and call her blessed, and she will be given the fruit of her hands, and her works will praise her in the gates. So mothers of Franconia, listen to me. Hear me. Be encouraged today as you contemplate your lasting impact in the lives of your children. One last thing to say as we close. Number two, cherish, cherish your loving Savior. Cherish your loving Savior. All of us, whether we are mothers or not, are called to set an example for other believers. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And of course, this command to set an example also applies to mothers. But listen, no matter what the Hallmarks, Hallmark card say, there is no such thing as a perfect mother. There's no such thing as a perfect mother. Even people who are Roman Catholic who think that Mary was sinless, she wasn't because in Luke chapter 1, she thanks God, her Savior, right? So there's no such thing as a perfect mother. Everyone, including mothers, have fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why we can't just consider the example mothers are supposed to set without also cherishing the Savior that we all desperately need. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to consider as we close 
our friend, the friend of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the one who came into the world to save sinners. The reason I began this message by fixing our gaze upon the lasting and eternal impact of uh, the lasting internal impact of mothers in the lives of their children is because I want us to consider the eternity, uh, the eternal perspective that fixes our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these words uh, by Gloria Furman uh, in her excellent book, Treasuring Christ When Your Hands Are Full. She wrote this, quote, Jonathan Edwards used to pray and ask that God would stamp eternity on my eyeballs. That's what a great prayer. Stamp eternity on my eyes. And she goes on to say, This prayer has become my own heart's request too. When your eyes are fixed on the horizon of eternity, it affects your vision for motherhood. We need to have eyes to see a view of God that is so big and so glorious that it transforms our perspective of motherhood. And in the context of eternity where Christ is doing His work of reigning over all things, we need to see our mundane moments for what they really are, worship. In the daily and nightly work of mothering, listen to this, in the daily and nightly work of mothering, we're given dozens of invitations to worship God as He reminds us of the hope we have because of the gospel of grace. So let's just briefly consider our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is blessed, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who alone dwells in unapproachable light, to Him be eternal dominion forever. Mothers and grandmothers, I want to remind you of the hope of the gospel today so that you might cherish your loving Savior. You aren't saved because you're a great mother. You aren't saved because you're good. You're saved because God is good. Take your Bibles one last time and flip back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 9. We're told why we were saved. Verse 9, Paul says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You aren't justified by being a perfect mother. You're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in a perfect Savior. Having turned from your sins and trusted in Christ, having received Him in the arms of faith, in the, in the open hands of faith, you've become united to Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And His righteousness is now counted as yours. So if you are trusting in Jesus Christ right now, if you're trusting in Christ, you are just as righteous in God's holy sight as the eternal Son of God who took on flesh and dwelt among us and who sits at the right hand of the throne of God right now. You're just as righteous in God's sight as His Son is if you're trusting in Christ. 
Our Savior came into the world to save sinners because of a promise God made in the presence of the first mother who ever lived, the mother of us all. Her name was Eve, the mother of all the living. God promised, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And there in Genesis 3.15, we find the first glimmer of the gospel. The promise offspring, the true son of Eve, has come. And he has crushed the serpent's head on the cross. And he himself bore our curse on the cross, the curse of his people. And he has brought blessing and salvation. He's brought immortality and life to light through the gospel, Paul says. And by his death, by his substitutionary death, and by his triumphant resurrection from the dead, he offers life and forgiveness and cleansing. So if you're listening and you're not a perfect mother, which is that's every mother who's listening, you can find forgiveness of all of your sins, all of the ways that you've fallen short, by drawing near to Christ, by confessing your sins to him. And he promises he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Mothers and grandmothers of Franconia Baptist Church, listen to me. You are loved. You are cherished. You're cherished by us. You're cherished by your families. You're cherished by your church family. You're cherished by your elders. But you need to know something far more amazing, far more staggering. You are loved and cherished by your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves you with an everlasting love. He has loved you, Paul says, from before the ages began. He loved you before you even existed. And He will never stop loving you, sisters, because He never started loving you. He's loved you forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. He has saved you and He has called you to a holy calling, not because of your works, but because of His own purpose and grace. And you get to pursue this holy calling of following Him in this world. And one of the ways that you follow Him is by serving and caring and loving your children. One of the ways that you get to be His disciple is by keeping this eternal perspective of being a mother in view in order that you might cherish your Savior today, tomorrow, and as long as He lends you breath. And on Monday morning, when you wake up, and immediately it feels like you're running another marathon, remember the final words of our dear brother Paul. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And henceforth there is laid up from me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, 
will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the mothers in our congregation. Help us to love them and to care for them well as they serve and care for so many. Father God, we thank you most of all for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his everlasting love. Help us to follow him by faith until that day that we see him by sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.